Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 15. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. It was night, and they were looking after their sheep. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. It is for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Here is how you will know that I am telling you the truth. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a large group of angels from heaven also appeared. They were praising the Lord. They said, May the glory be given to God in the highest heaven, and may peace be given to those he is pleased with on earth. The angels left and went into heaven. Then the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see what this thing has thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. I would like to begin this morning by just acknowledging um, Pamela, Pamela Edwards' creative display, this striking display that we see here before us this morning, and acknowledge her inspiration, which um, has been percolating for for months, since around July. And uh, it's an idea that began with kind of creating some angels out of cardboard and has led to this. And I particularly love the wings, which I'm not sure if you've got a palm tree at home, but that's where these come from, very creative. And uh, also just to acknowledge Clive, who's been, you know, so instrumental in in helping Pamela put all this together. Pamela just has a a great love for this church, a great love of Christmas, and uh, a desire to bring the Christmas story to us in in creative ways, which I'm so thankful for. So thank you, Pamela. And it's a real opportunity for us just to give pause and to consider the significant role that, in fact, the angels play surrounding the birth of Christ. You know, we'd be very familiar at Christmas time with the decorations on our trees. We see all kinds of angels this time of year. But they actually, it's a very biblical part of the, the story of Christ's birth, is the angelic messages and the angelic hosts that we just heard Tara share with us. If we think about the birth narratives, we know that Gabriel, the angel, appeared to Zachariah, who had become the father of John the Baptist. And then the same angel, Gabriel, appeared to Mary, and she learned that the Son of God would be born to her. An angel visited Joseph in his dream, reassuring him to support Mary and to take her as his wife. The shepherds were visited by angels who worshipped and praised God and urged them to go to Bethlehem and worship the king. And the wise men were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. And I wonder if it was perhaps an angel who warned the wise men in the dream, similar to how Joseph himself was warned in a dream. We're in a series this term considering the majesty of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. Jesus was born in very humble surroundings. And this is rightly emphasised as it demonstrates his capacity to identify with the very least of these. I love the elements of the Christmas story that speak of the ordinary and the humility. 
But the birth of Jesus is also incredibly remarkable and majestic when we consider the role of angels. No one ever has or ever will receive the same level of angelic involvement and attention than Jesus did. The message-bearing angels not only brought word of how Jesus would be born, but they rejoiced when Jesus was born. Angels are most often sent as God's messengers, and the news they usually give is good. In the case of the birth of Christ, it was more than good. It was the best news that had ever been proclaimed. We don't know how many angels were in that heavenly choir that sang to the shepherds. But Revelation 5.11 says the angels number 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Luke said this was a great company of heavenly hosts. To the shepherds, this must have been an astounding sight. I wonder if the angels themselves felt like this birth announcement was vastly understated This was the king of kings. And this news was being announced to peasant shepherds in a field. This was, after all, the most significant event in human history. Why didn't God make such an announcement on a worldwide scale? Well, I'm sure if he wanted to, he could have. Instead, God the Father sent this enormous heavenly choir to announce the arrival of his son to disparate shepherds in an obscure field. And what news it was. Do not be afraid. I bring good news to you that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So Christmas, according to the angels, is good news of great joy. The word gospel, translated as good news, was a term that was used culturally to announce information that all people would benefit from. Not just some, but indeed all people. The birth of the Emperor Augustus was announced with a report of good news and the arrival of a saviour. In other words, his birth would impact all people. Luke intends the same meaning, and this is why this is news of such great joy. The king of kings has arrived, a king that has come for all people. Heaven has come to earth. This good news of great joy is for all people. God does not discriminate. He shows no favoritism or partiality. His desire is to speak to every person about the coming of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is for all people. However, the announcement itself is totally inclusive 
Salvation is reserved only for those who repent and believe. This news that is of great joy for all the people is news about the person and work of Jesus. The titles the angel uses for the newborn child are significant. Jesus is referred to as the Saviour, and this reflects the call of Jesus to deliver his people from the bondage of their sins. Messiah means anointed one. Jesus was God's promised anointed one to rescue, redeem, and restore people in right relationship with God. Pam, have you got your phone here? Can I just borrow that for a moment? Here's an illustration about the anointed one because there were actually several anointed ones throughout scripture. You see, you used to be able to, you used to get the, or you still can, you can have like a a phone wallet where you would put your phone and your cards. This is basically obsolete now because you can have your credit card and your driver's license on your phone. And the whole thing about Jesus being the anointed one is there is a sense of he is the final anointed one. There is no more need to upgrade, right? So throughout the scripture, there are constant anointed ones, but Jesus is the anointed one. There are no more needs for upgrades. The sacrifice of Jesus will be entirely sufficient. So there are plenty of upgrades, but then Jesus comes and there is no need to continually upgrade. Great. His sacrifice would be sufficient. That's what it means when it speaks of Messiah. And the Lord, the Lord, he will be the Lord, speaks of Jesus' authority and role as a teacher and a master. And this great news of wonderful joy for all the people about the person and work of Jesus is going to glorify God. And it's going to bring peace on earth to those upon whom God's favour rests. When he walked this earth, Jesus was all about bringing glory to the Father. If you think about the life and ministry of Jesus, he not only continually sought the Father, but he continually pointed others to the Father. He wanted the miracles and everything that he did to bring glory to the Father. He said the Son can do nothing other than what the Father tells him to do. Through Christ's life, death and resurrection, the Father would be and still is to this day glorified. To be a person of God's favour was a Jewish way of saying that someone was numbered among God's chosen people. This remark makes it clear that salvation and its fullness are not automatic for everyone. Jesus comes for all, but not all choose to respond to his coming. The Jewish word shalom, peace, means more than the absence of war and conflict. It means well-being, health, prosperity, security, justice, soundness and completeness. Because of humanity's inclination towards selfishness and sin, chaos, 
and conflict reign. The kind of shalom peace that each of our souls so desperately longs for can only come from the Prince of Peace. What a glorious message the angels delivered that first Christmas. A message that remains just as valid and available to people today. Angels played a very important role in the events surrounding Christ's birth, but they also played a significant role in his life and even close to his death. When Jesus was in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, we read in Matthew 4 that angels came and attended to him. In Luke 22, we also learn that an angel came to strengthen Jesus when he was experiencing the anguish of Gethsemane. So angels played a significant role in the birth and in the life of Christ. But what else can we know more broadly of angels and their purpose? The Bible has a lot to say about angels. In fact, angels are mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament and 165 times in the New Testament. And no, I didn't count those. (laughs) Angels are spiritual beings created before mankind. Since they are spiritual creatures, they do not ordinarily have physical bodies. However, from time to time throughout Scripture, exactly as we witness in the birth narratives, they take on a bodily form in order to appear to various people. Angels must have been created before the seventh day of creation. For we read in Genesis 2, verse 1, before the seventh day, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. The creation of angels was part of God's forming of the heavens. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, And for him. So angels were created by God for God. In Job 38, 4 to 7, we read this insight of the creation week. Where where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? At the dawn of creation, the angels sang for joy. We sang this this morning. Ye who sang creation's story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Just as the angels praised God at the first creation, they now praise him at the second creation, at Christ's birth. Angels worship and serve God voluntarily. We know this because one of the most beautiful and powerful angels, Lucifer, rebelled against God and led a host of angels who became what we know as demons. Unlike people, angels can see God face to face. 
For now, they are a little higher than human beings with powers beyond powers of humans. However, it won't always be this way. Angels are not made in the image of God. So it would be reasonable to conclude that we are in fact more godlike than angels, these heavenly beings. When our salvation is complete, we will be exalted above the angels and rule over them. According to 1 Corinthians 6.3, one day we will in fact judge the angels. Angels can appear and disappear in a moment. In spite of popular conceptions of angels being largely feminine creatures with sweet faces and perhaps shining halos and fragile wings, very little detail is actually given about their physical appearance. Isaiah described them as having six wings and flying. Angels can appear to humans in all kinds of different forms. On some occasions, they appeared as beings of overwhelming light. In fact, they almost always inspired fear and awe, which is why you will often find the first words that come from an angel's mouth are, fear not. The Bible speaks of angels, of cherubim, who were given the task of guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, 24. Seraphim is another group of heavenly beings who are mentioned in Isaiah 6, 2-7 as those who are continually worshipping God. There is rank and order among angels. For example, one angel, Michael, is called an archangel in Jude 9. Only two angels in Scripture are named, Michael and Gabriel. And these angels are mentioned in both the Old and the New Testaments. Angels never die. They continue to live. They are eternal, like we will be. But we have to die first. Angels sometimes appeared like ordinary men. The book of Hebrews describes angels who look so much like normal human beings that people have entertained them without recognising their supernatural identity. Angels worship God and angels serve God. Angels also serve us. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? What a thought. If you are someone who will inherit salvation, God will send his angels to minister to you, to us. A helpful way of summing up the purpose and ministry of angels is twofold. Angels are messengers of God. Oftentimes they bring a message of God for people. But angels are also ministers for God. Angels are not substitutes for God. Rather, they are servants of God who carry out God's will. Angels are not to be worshipped or prayed to. Angels themselves worship God continually. They are under his authority, 
When we worship God, as I mentioned earlier, we join with the angels in their heavenly worship. Angels remind us that the unseen world is real. As believers, we can come under spiritual attack. We read in Ephesians 6, 12 and 13, we are not fighting against humans. We are fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. So put on all the armour that God gives. Then when that evil day comes, you will be able to defend yourself And when the battle is over, you will still be standing firm. Angels are just as actively involved in their ministry today as they were in biblical times. Psalm 91.11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And to demonstrate this, Pamela is going to share with us a personal testimony. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this with you. Thank you, Joel. It was 30 years ago on a Friday evening in peak hour traffic when a 45-year-old woman was the passenger in a car which was being driven recklessly, top speed along a main road. This driver was in an absolute state of rage. As the car sped toward a T intersection, she knew that this was not looking good. The highway that they were to enter onto had traffic moving, flowing very quickly to and from the freeway. And uh, it was intended that a left-hand turn would be made, but the car was going so fast, it could not make the turn. It veered to the left, across two lanes, between the traffic, into the other two lanes that were heading to the freeway. So the car was now going against the traffic until it two sets of headlights came over the rise of a hill. And at that point, the driver spun the wheel hard, hit the median strip, flew across onto the other side, now heading the right direction, in the right lane. And the passenger was giving thanks to God for that space that was provided that nobody had been injured as they continued up to a set of lights that was over the rise. And the lights were green, but the driver slammed on the brakes at that set of lights, did a U-turn and headed off again in a rage of temper down down the highway. Now... The woman knew that it was very likely suicide was presenting itself to a mind that was very disturbed, a sick mind. 
And she prayed, God, how will you rescue us this time? She called upon the Lord to intervene, but nothing happened. The car continued. And then knowing that within sight now was a drop-off to a valley. On the left and to the right, there was a very high mountain um, rock face created by the highway that ran through the mountain. And her thoughts were, how could anybody possibly help me at this time? She called again, Lord, we need your help now. Lord Jesus, help us. And she'd scarcely finished those words when she heard the sound of a siren and glancing over her shoulder, she saw flashing lights. And it was one time when she was just so pleased to be pulled over by the police. I might might just say, at this point, that Clive was not the driver. <laughs> Let's have that clear. <laughs> the thing is, uh, some things in life leave you breathless. And I'm very familiar with this story because I was the passenger in that car. And... Um, I was truly able to give thanks to God for his love and his care, his grace. As it just seemed, he directed traffic to allow a safe ride, as frightening as it was. And more, more than anything, it just became so real to me. What a wonderful God he is. There was power in all of that. And I believe in angels. I don't know or understand exactly how God works, but I do know that they were created by God and they were created for his purpose, to serve those who love him, to serve the believers. And I do believe he was uh, just directing traffic and it seemed to me, as I look back on it, that angels were a part of that whole drama What I want to say in closing is that, again, it was proving to me that all things work to God, together for God, for those who love him. And I might say, too, that in leaving the scene, we went at a very slow pace. And it was very quiet. But I really do hope that these beautiful celestial beings that we see at Christmas in the shops uh, on Christmas cards, I hope that they will just bring to your mind the significance and be reminded of the reality and the purpose, God's purpose for angels. And uh, <coughs> what their role has been throughout 
the Old Testament, the New Testament, and in the lives of many people who can tell stories of God's goodness and his grace as he just looks upon us with such love and uh, particularly surrounding the birth of Christ. I just say thank you, Lord God, for your goodness to us, your care and your love. Thank you. The majesty of Jesus, highlighted in the role of angels in his birth and in his life. We don't pray to angels, we don't worship angels. We pray to God, we ask God for protection, we ask God for guidance, and as Psalm 91.11 says, he will command his angels concerning you. Would you join me in prayer? We praise you, almighty God, for the heavenly hosts you have created to carry out your will in marvellous ways. We praise you, Lord, that you created angels to minister to us on earth, a sign of your love for us that is beyond our understanding. We give thanks for the angels who protect and deliver us, even though we are often unaware of their presence. We thank you for all the times angels help us to resist temptation, for we need all the help we can get. We give thanks that angels lead and guide us on the right paths, even when their ministry is not always evident to us. We give thanks that angels inspire us as we lift our hearts in worship. We give thanks for your gift of angels, for their presence is a reminder that our loving God notices and cares for us in all the details of our lives. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all glory be to your name on high, O God. Amen. Amen. We're going to conclude our service by worshipping our God and, uh, and singing about the angels. Hark the herald angels sing. I trust that as we sing carols... And many of the carols speak of the role and the ministry of angels at the birth of Christ, that a new richness will be added to your understanding and worship of God. And as we worship by song, we'll also worship by bringing our tithes, 